prepare, respond, serve. This is Five Stone. The contents of this podcast are the personal opinions and views of Five Stone and our affiliates. This is not a recommendation for medical practice or a guide for decision-making or even to take place for your own personal judgment. We recommend that you always seek out in-person professional training and always follow your established policies and procedures. Now, with that said, let's get after it. Hey guys, this is Eric and John with Five Stone, and this is our podcast today. We have a very special, important guest with us today, Renee Blackaby. This is going to be a podcast on mental health and especially how it kind of relates to the first responder and to our community. This is a very interesting podcast. Um, she is a professional in what she does. Um, I think the world over, I could not think of probably a more sincere medic that I've met in my life. I've seen her come into the emergency room and bring patients to us. And she is very sincere, dedicated. She brings the hurt and the pain with her when she brings somebody in suffering. And she is a legit sincere medic that I would trust in my own life. So we're tickled to have you here with us, Renee. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. So let's get to it. What do you want to talk about today? Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your your personal history, your background. You got some military experience. You've worked with EMS, fire, special operations, rescue, all kinds of stuff. So (laughs) So, you have at it. Let's let's know. uh, I'm a veteran. Uh, Thank you for your service. uh, I was a veteran of the Army. I was a military police officer. I spent 05 to 06 in Iraq. So I have got that in my background. I'm a critical care paramedic. I am our station's um, public relations officer. I am also part of the special ops team. Uh, and I am working on finishing my psychophysiology degree. That is so awesome. So I'm, 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 I'm so close. That's awesome. So you served in the Army. You, mm-hmm. were, you, were, you served overseas in Iraq. Mm-hmm. You're here at, at Camelsville Fire Department here in Kentucky. Uh-huh. Camelsville EMS. Yes. And the last part was the degree you're finishing up? Oh, uh, psychophysiology degree. Psychophysiology. Yeah. Where are you doing that at? Uh, Lindsay. That's awesome. Yeah. Lindsay Wilson College in Columbia, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you that's not from here, that's just the county south of here. Uh, it's a very, very well-known college, actually. They have a lot of good degrees in there. Big, college, big uh, soccer team there. Yeah, they got a huge soccer team there. <clears throat> so Renee wanted to come on the podcast today, and we're honored to have her because she's got a mission. She's got something that she's trying to do for the community, and it has very much paid off already. Um, she has worked with uh, our videographer here today. He has uh, helped to establish some videos for EMS, uh, Black Sherlocky, mm-hmm. um, and these videos have already saved some lives. Yes. And so, how long ago did you put the videos out? Uh, a few months ago. Yeah, I think yeah. it was a few months ago. Uh, I got together with uh, the county coroner, a police officer, another paramedic that I work with, and our chaplain. And the goal of it was to let the community know that we see the bad stuff all the time. Yeah. You know, we respond to all this stuff. And, and the main subject of the video was suicide and how the calls that we make affect us. And sometimes we have to ask for help. And we're trying to break the stigma of first responders asking for help. Mm. So by putting ourselves out there saying this is what we've dealt with and, and this is how it's affected us uh, and it's okay to ask for help, we're, we're kind of trying to let everybody know that it's okay to ask for help. You know, everybody needs help. 
if we're doing it, you can do it too. And that's a good point. I think that people don't realize until after nine eleven the impact that first responders felt because there were so many at that one time, and then their family right. members and everybody trying to respond that dealt with that high level of stress and had you know post traumatic stress after that situation. It kind of brought an awareness to the whole idea, you yeah. know. <clears throat> and I, I I don't want to go down this this road too far and get off topic for what you're talking about, but it, it directly relates to what you're trying to bring awareness to for for mental health in the community. Yeah. As first responders, we relate personally to these people with mental health crisis. So if you're somebody who's having suicidal ideations, homicidal ideations, you're depressed, whatever it might would be, because of post-traumatic stress, most of your first responders have been there and are still in the current situation that you're in. Yeah. And there's a huge gap that's lacking for resources for the public. Right. But also resources for our first responders. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? So the video that you made, you want to talk more about it? Like what, what was in that video? What was really produced with that video? And we can probably try to you know put a link to the video and share that video so you all can see that because it literally has already saved that we just have been reported to yeah, three least, lives in this small months. community. Mm-hmm. So with people out there that this is all across, this podcast is all across the world. If you can implement something similar in your own hometown, your own community, think how many lives can be impacted and saved all across this planet because of this one step that you took to yeah. implement this. So, so our, our goal was, I want to at least help one person. I want to, to, to do this, to let at least one person know that if you want to ask for help, go ahead. And, yeah. and it turns out that we've impacted that we know of at least three people. And I've got the video pulled up now and it's been viewed 9.8 thousand times. So oh my God. We've almost got to 10,000 views and it's been shared Almost 200 times. What? So, um, <laughs> almost 10,000 yeah. views. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, let's give everybody a perspective here <laughs> for the size of Taylor County. What's the, hang on, let me, I'll look it up real quick here. What's the, what, what's the population of, of Taylor County, Kentucky? Let's see. 25,000. What do y'all think it is? 25,000. It's pretty good I have guess. No idea. 25,000. <laughs> <laughs> let's see what we got here. Ooh, 25,769. Wow, bud. Wow. Good job, man. We got our videographer coming through with the stat stat machine back there. It's awesome. <laughs> Spitting out facts. So, so if I think about this now, we got 25,000 people in the entire county, and this is a county-based system, an EMS system, and it's already got 10,000. You're almost at half. If it was just, and I don't, it probably wasn't just people here in the county, but... Yeah. If well, it was, that's half of our population. Yeah. Right. And it's been shared by, you know, everybody across, you know, I have friends yeah. all over the country and, and they've, they've shared it as well too. So this is going just beyond Gosh, our community. Man, that is so awesome. And, and the idea of it was I wanted to get different, um, emergency service personnel. I want to get their perspective because each, each person plays a different role, law enforcement, approaches a scene a certain way fire approaches a scene a certain way you know ems does it a certain way and our chaplain is his who we call for help so if there's an emergency on scene and we have a family member that is in some immediate immediate um mental health assistance or Mm -hmm. they're emotionally upset we call the chaplain and he goes and he talks with them immediately or he'll go to the er and and talk with the family so 
So can I ask you, this is kind of a personal question, but what really got you personally put on this path? What made you focus down mental health? Like all the different topics you could talk about, you could yeah. have talked about cardiovascular health, right. you know, stroke, anything at all could have been addressed right now. Yeah, what really triggered this path? Yeah. What made you go, <laughs> this is my passion, this is my mission for the right. community. And obviously it was a direct call from the almighty because you saved three <laughs> yeah. people's lives. But So I have <clears throat> a very complex history of, of mental health issues and, and stuff that I didn't know. Um, from I can remember uh, in fifth grade trying to tell my mom like I don't feel good but it wasn't a physical feel good it was like I was trying to tell her that mentally something was wrong and this Mm. was in sixth grade so um, fast forward to the military you know nobody a lot of people have issues when they leave the military I had issues leaving that and then going into uh, EMS so I've just I've got a lot of history with it and, and a lot of personal experience that if I had somebody else there with me to talk with me about it, it would have made it so much easier because people don't like to talk about it because it makes them uncomfortable and we have to talk about the uncomfortable stuff. There's like a perception that if you talk about an issue you're having, that you're automatically inferior right? because these people function on a higher level because they can tolerate it. That's the opposite of the truth. Is there anything, and you don't have to answer this question, don't feel obligated to, we didn't discuss this prior to the podcast, but is there a certain situation in the military that really you feel like you had issues and you went to the military, then after that you had more issues? Is there something there that you think people out there that's listening to this podcast could possibly relate to that they may think, Man, she knows how I feel. She's been in the same kind of situation. I personally haven't served in the military. Yeah. So I don't have that understanding. And for me, I would kind of like to get an understanding. But if you're not comfortable doing that, no, then I understand. Yeah, so Transparent. I'm all about it. All right. uh, so I didn't – I was 19 uh, when when I was in the military. Like I went right out of high school, 18, 19 years old, deployed when I was 20. So – I was still developing. I was still young. Yeah. I didn't have any life experience, and, and I was thrown into this situation. And, of course, they have the military has their resources and stuff, but sometimes it gets blown over, and they just touch the surface because they don't want to talk about it because it's uncomfortable. Right. So <clears throat> what I'm realizing now is we were there for a whole year, and we were there for a year at a heightened state of awareness, like, it was my life or theirs. So yeah, like a hypervigilance, at, like yeah. a hypervigilance mm, yeah. for an entire year. There was no relaxing. There was no letting your guard down. It was always, always be ready. So whenever you rested, it wasn't really rest. So, and then I, I, you know, I have certain, my, my truck got blown up once and everybody was fine. You know, it was just, oh, that's yeah, nothing. My truck just got, <laughs> my blown, truck up. got blown up. I mean, it was, seriously, it, it was a little bomb and we were okay. <laughs> So. <laughs> Who says that? I can, I is can there say is that there now. such thing as a little bomb? Uh, like I, I don't I don't know if that exists. One. I mean, yeah. I guess technically, physically, it might. But yeah, I'll just um, okay, just a little bomb. I, We're I, good. I say that now because everybody in my truck ended up okay. Oh my gosh! And, uh, because my turret was facing the other way, I didn't get peppered, but we ended up okay. And very early into the deployment, so we, because your turret was facing the other way, that you didn't get the shrapnel. Yeah. Yeah, like I was, my my gun was facing that way, and it hit from behind us, and the whole side of my truck got peppered with with shrapnel. Oh my gosh, Renee! uh, My head was down, you know. So, 
Was everybody else inside the vehicle? Yeah, everybody else was inside. I was I was a gunner. I should I should have clarified that. I was the gunner, so I was up top with so my gun. You were on the turret. Yeah, I was on the turret, facing that way, and it went off behind and. And it's really so. Was it an IED that was that you all drove over top of, or was it on the side of the road? It was road? on the side of the road. It, it was on the side of the road, and like it went off. And the way people describe it, if you haven't lived it, it it's hard. It, it sounds it sounds funny, but I saw the flash, and I didn't hear anything. Like I saw the flash, and then our truck stopped, and nobody said a word, because we're like, did that just happen? And like I sat there, and. I, I looked down and I looked at my hands and I looked at everything and, and I had to like touch my arms and I'm like, am I okay? Like what just happened? And my, uh, my team leader, my team leader kept on hitting me and he's like, Hey, are you okay? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know what the heck just happened. <laughs> so how uh, far was the IED from where you all were at? We were in the middle of the road. So less than 10 feet. Like it wasn't a very big one. It was a very hasty, dig into the side of the road late at night type of thing. So, ill-prepared. Yeah, it was an ill-prepared oh kind of, kind of small thing. So, you know. So we, 10 feet away from your vehicle, okay, yeah. this bomb goes off. Yeah. And how many people were in your vehicle? Three. Okay. So you were on the tour, you had a driver, and then just And a, then our team leader. In the front? Yeah. And then... Luckily, or I shouldn't say luckily, blessed, being blessed by the grace yeah. of God, you, you were facing the other direction. Yeah. So if you were facing the way that was... I, I probably would have got a little bit of shrapnel. A little bit. A little bit of shrapnel. That's just the way it works, I guess. Still uh, a lot of it. Oh, my so gosh. Well, that, that incident aside... Um, well, thank you for sharing that. I know, it's, <laughs> I know you're laughing and lighthearted, but yeah. to relive that's got to be tough. It's, it's, been, it's not easy. Yeah. It's, it's not, been not, uh, over... Let, it's that was in 2006, so wow. it's been a few years. My goodness gracious! Okay, so well, thank you. So <laughs> that that so that in itself, yeah, you know. And then early on into the deployment, we lost somebody. We were in an area that we don't we didn't normally patrol in, yeah. and he was a gunner as well. He was a bigger guy. Uh, it's a lot harder for the bigger guys to be in that in that seat, you know. Uh, they ran over a 200 pound bomb. And they were going at about like 60 miles an hour. So it lifted the truck up. And when the truck fell, it kind of fell sideways and it rolled. And uh, he had head trauma. Oh. And that's ine inevitably what, what killed him was the head trauma. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and the kicker is he oh. volunteered to go with us. So were you out there at that time? No. I wasn't out there on that on that on particular that, on run. That run. Yeah. Wow. So uh, he was a part of my... my um, uh, squad. Yeah. Yeah. Part of Did he squad. volunteer to go on that patrol or that deployment? He volunteered to go on that deployment. Wow. This uh, He was oh married. Wow. He had children. He and his wife fostered children. Oh, and phew. so, like, he had volunteered from a MP company to, to come with our, our MP platoon, which, obviously, <clears throat> I've still not gotten over because he volunteered to go. Yeah. And, you know, and of all the people for that to happen to, it had to happen to him. But this, you know... This is kind of crazy, but this relates to why people, I think, in my personal opinion, and I know we'll get into this more later in this conversation, but the volunteering to go over there yeah. and the willingness to not only serve your country and to be the bigger part, mm. that's a lot, a lot of people want, but some of it gets deeper with this psychological issue because 
I, I watched this video the other day from a professor. It was a TED Talks video on YouTube from Colorado State University's professor, see Dr. Janet Seaborn. And she said, it's not post-traumatic stress disorder. She said, it is not a disorder. They're mm-hmm. changing the terminology. It's a reorder. Right. She said, your brain, whenever you're exposed, like you said, mm-hmm. every day to a state of hypervigilance, mm-hmm. every single day to a state of traumatic events, to dangers and risks and traumas, medical emergencies, whatever it is, seeing these things, even if it's a secondary incident or you're not the one hurt, but you're responding to help people, mm-hmm. all those things reorder the chemical pathways in your brain. Yeah. It physically reorders the pathway of which you perceive certain situations. And it's something you really don't get over. Yeah. And, and you, your brain does that automatically to make you survive. It's right. a survival <clears throat> instinct. It's not a bad thing. You know, we're in a society today to where we're lucky. We're blessed. Hardly any of us are ever threatened with our life. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If we are, it's it's very rare. You know, how many times in your life have you been like, I'm probably going to die today right now? You probably count them on, hand, on one hand. Maybe if that many. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's just the average. Yeah, but in the majority, of, I, I get what you're saying. The majority of people, the majority of the public will never... Yeah. Have that threat. They won't. Yeah, and that's so they don't perceive the same way that people who have perceived those daily dangers yeah. and threats because their brain is rewired, reordered yeah. in essence yeah. of how it responds to certain things. But people like, you know, us and been in the military, EMS, law enforcement, yeah. stuff like that. <clears throat> I can say now, like, I definitely understand what she's saying about that, that reorder because... <clears throat> I can't take my family to the mall, to Walmart, nothing, and not be on edge. Right. Because yeah. I've, I know what kind of evil's out there. Yeah, you're right. It's very rarely would it affect anybody, but I know it's there. It takes a long time to come back down. Yeah. So, like, afterwards, when in, in the middle of a deployment, you get two weeks of leave. Uh, when I went home, I was like, my family just looked at me like, who are you? Because I was so uncomfortable being in the car and there was people next to us and I just, it was physically making me sick because there was people driving next to us and I wasn't uncomfortable with it because my mind was set for danger. Everything is a danger. Oh yeah. And, and going out in public. Even if you saw something odd on the side of the road after that, your experience, you know what I'm saying? You see a piece of trash over here. You see something that's like, oh my gosh, what is that? Yeah. You've got to think that subconsciously. Going out in public, going to stores, any odd sound that I heard, I was like, what was that? And like, I could, we, my family didn't talk about it, but I could just see the looks on their face. Like, they're like, are you okay? And they were like, afraid to ask me about it because they, they had no clue what to do. So they just looked at me in fear, which kind of made me feel bad because I'm like, it's not your fault. You know, I didn't really know what I was dealing with. I was just, I was just living it. And you know, it's after the fact that I'm starting to to look at it and realize exactly what was happening. I was I was I'm seeing the trauma. I'm I'm seeing what become of it and how I acted afterwards and the repercussions of that. Yeah. So those experiences that you've had since a child and then getting exposed to combat and seeing those situations and nearly losing your life and you know, a guy that 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 volunteered to deploy, losing his life within your own unit, 
you know, those impacts. Then you come back home. Then you've got to try to shut that off and adjust to normal society yeah. and function like a right. normal person that doesn't exist. Right. A normal <laughs> right. person that does not really exist. In today's society, here, here's an interesting concept. What made you, because you were MP. Yeah. Why'd you go to EMS? Or fire, whatever you did first. Uh, it was being a police officer in the military is different than being a police officer in, in, in the general community. There's, um, people in the military have a lot less, to, uh, a lot more to lose if they mess up people in the outside world. Some people just do not care about anything. And, you know, I, I wanted to feel like I was, I was making a difference to somebody and medical had always been in, in the background of my mind. So, I was going to school. Uh, I found this EMT class, and I was like, you know, this this will be a good step in the right direction. Get my feet wet, see how I like it. Yeah. And I got on the ambulance, and I was like, I freaking love this. Like, I can do this. This this you know, it, it sounds stupid. I, I realize that, and no, you know, people might make fun of me for it. But like, I got on the ambulance. Yeah. I was like, man, this I I can do this. You know, and I went through the class, and the first big thing that happened. Uh, I was riding with a seasoned paramedic, thank God, uh, because we went to a cardiac arrest and we got her in the back of the truck. And I remember that paramedic looking at me in the eyes and she's like, okay, this is as bad as it gets. Start doing compressions. And I was like, okay. And I did compressions. And wow. I realized at that point that when everybody else is freaking out, uh, I can calm down. Yeah. I can follow directions. Oh, this and, is it. And, and, and you yeah. know, I'm this, like, okay, go. This, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is it. Okay. Sorry, I'm getting excited. All right. So this is exactly exactly where i wanted to kind of go with this and we guys we, i didn't i didn't plan this for people watching this podcast listen this was not the direction that we said okay we're going to go down this path this is in my mind i had a i had a from the research that i've done being a medical provider i was like this has got to connect okay so at a state of hypervigilance in iraq 24 uh 7 -huh. yeah how similar is that to EMS? Oh, it's absolutely similar. Like, I mean, you you go onto a scene and all this stuff is happening and you got to be ready to act like on a dime. Because right. obviously people's lives are at stake when you go into some, if you go into a situation where somebody's not breathing, I have to be the calm. I have to be the person that says, okay, this is what we're doing. Right. It's okay. You know, some people are going to freak out, but... I can control myself enough to direct the situation and realize that I have a certain set of guidelines of what I can do to save this person. But 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 what about when you're when you're back at the station and you're not on a call? It's downtime. But <laughs> is it though? But is but it really is it? <laughs> no, it's that's where I'm at because <laughs> even though you're in Iraq and you're in a state of hypervigilance all the time, yeah. when you were back. I'm assuming yeah. when you were back in a controlled base, I say controlled lightly because you could always be attacked yeah. against, inside the wire. When you yeah. were back inside the wire and you had your security and your perimeter and you were like, all right, man, I'm taking off the body. I'm taking off this. I'm going to go to the mess hall. I'm going to do, you know, whatever. Yeah. You probably had a little bit of a chance to kind of like, okay, you know right. what I'm saying? But at any time it could be like, we right. got to go right now. Right. EMS is the same way. Exactly There's no difference. Like for, for 24 hours. So at how a did time. your brain function overseas? You come home and you're like, I want to help people because you have the need to serve. 
it was already built in, but and I were, didn't realize it. That, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I was. I'm I was not made a psychologist. Okay. Now, <laughs> now you know. you're right. I was. I was. I was programmed to do that. So Exa- now that's your comfort. Yeah. And what did you just say? Whenever I was in the back of a truck and somebody was having a cardiac arrest, everything went calm. Yeah. And she's like, this is... Now, the only reason it would go calm for you and not a... You take anybody else off the street, throw them in the back of a truck and be like, hey, they're in a heart attack, do chest and break. They're going to flip out. Yes. They're going to flip. Yeah. Right. But what did you do? I got calm. I got calm and... I had the same conversation the other day. The same conversation day with somebody else. And I said, you know, as a... I've been been in medicine for, I don't know, 16 years or something. As a provider, I still... To this day, I did it whenever I was a flight nurse. I, I slept in my flight suit with my boots on. Mm-hmm. Okay? I every and I'm not exaggerating. Every minute of the day where I wasn't stopping to eat while I was at the base waiting for a flight call, uh-huh. I had the policy book in my hand reading it. It was a state of hypervigilance. But as soon as we got on scene... Yeah. Calm. After a first, after a first few, you know, exposures right. to it, that's where I was at calm. As a medical provider today, before I go to the emergency room and I work in that ER setting, to where you don't know what's coming in, uh-huh. I feel a little bit of anxiousness, and it's just like I want to study up on a couple little things just to make sure that if I face with it, that it's fresh in my mind for tomorrow. Right. right. As soon as I get there, calm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I can remember watching a newscast on the Bin Laden raid. And I think it may have been Obama that said this on the news. He said, what got me the most was whenever the SEALs, because I guess they had like their heart rate monitors and all this stuff that they could monitor, I'm assuming. That's what he said. He said, whenever they went in to get him, all their heart rates dropped. Yeah. And I was like, (laughs) are you freaking (laughs) kidding me? How badass right. are these guys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But you f- look at it on a civilian side even. Yeah. That's whenever we calm down because that's our comfort. Right. You can hit me with like, hey, I need you to do this math problem. And I'll be like, oh, gosh, I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to do <laughs> algebra. I forgot how to do this formula. You know? <laughs> what does X stand for? I don't know. But you put me in like, hey, this person's having a stroke or a heart attack or their arm's chopped off. All right, cool. Yeah, I got this because you were trained for it. Yep. Because your mind was was constantly, if this happens, this is what I'm going to do. So you function more in a stress of you function. I shouldn't say more, but you function more comfortably in a in a situation of hypervigilance and high stress. Yeah. So if if you were to not have this job, I don't know if you can even answer this. I don't know. <laughs> if you were to not have this job, if you were to not be a first responder right now, and you were to be working. A job to where there was zero stress. I don't know. Put yourself doing a clerical job somewhere to where it was just maybe pushing numbers or doing ordering stock supply, something like that, to where there wasn't a life or death situation in your hands daily. Yeah. How do you both perceive that your your daily mental functioning would be? I'm just curious. I I don't know that I could. Like, uh, from... From a very early age, I, I wanted to do something that I felt was worthy of my time. Like that sounds that sounds a little snobby, but no, if I was I going no. to do something, it was going to be something worth impactful doing. Yeah. Impactful, yeah. Yeah. like it it had to be towards a greater good. 
and and I it's that's just who I am as a person. I, I've always felt like that when I was little. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to be a state police officer. And then my grandma was like, that's a man's job. And I was like, okay. So I went <laughs> to the military. Uh, <laughs> that's crazy. I was like, I will show you. That's just, right. I'll show you just what's because up. That's, yeah. that's how I, yeah. that was just ingrained in me. That's just who I was as a person. So I don't know that I would be satisfied with something like that. I, I could not do it and be okay with myself. What about you? Well, I've definitely experienced this. <clears throat> um, after several years working for the city of Louisville, um, I, I hit that point where if I didn't get out of EMS completely, I was gonna, I was at that desperate point. Like it was either get out or eat a bullet. Like there, I, in my opinion, there was no two options, right. no, no other options. So, um, so I did, I, I, I quit for a little while. So about six months, I went to work for a local cell phone company and I sold cell phones for about six months. And, um, it was cool for a little while. Like it was fun not having to worry about much. Uh, but like you got to the point where, Hey, you know, you didn't fill out this paperwork, right? You need a spreadsheet, right? I'm like, okay. Did anybody die? You know, I was like, <laughs> oh, like, my next you know, I was like, this is perfect. Like, that's my next point. Who cares? Yes. Like it's a piece die? of paper. We can, you know, we can, Oh my gosh, you know, this is did. it. Yes. So like, it wasn't long after that. It's like, you know, this is, this is petty. There is, yes. I just, I cannot live in this environment. It's not for me. I, t- I took the break that I needed, but it's time to get back to it. That's my point. Yes. Because, oh my gosh. Okay. So, so a job that I once had, I'm not, I'm not going to give you more information. The job that I once had was the same way. It's still as a, as medical provider, but it was more detail oriented to how the government wanted certain things filled out. Mm-hmm. And very rarely was there ever an emergency. Mm-hmm. And it pulled me down so bad because I'm just like, I'm wasting my time. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I would get more stressed out and carry that with me more of paperwork and a comma or a period or a space or yeah. this or that or a certain documentation a certain way than I would carry uh, carry home a in my own perception, I guess, a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. I think it's because our brains are reordered mm-hmm. to function a certain way in society. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Sorry. I told you all before <laughs> this, I'm probably going to veer off course and forgive me for that. But anyway. No, we could bring this back around. So. All right. So I'd bring it around. So now you've had those experiences. You've came home. You've worked in, as a first responder. All right. Yeah. And for how many years have you been doing first response, you think? Since 2014. 14. So we're yeah. at six years now. Yeah. Plus all your experience overseas and everything before right. that. And all those experiences led you to create this program. Yes. Okay. So, so I'll I'll be quiet. So so come and we could we could come around. Okay, I'm sorry. Now. <laughs> no, it all it all connects. We'll bring all it right. back around. Yeah, so we've we've done all this in our lives. And we're at a state of hypervigilance for, depending upon how your shift, mine is 24 hours at a time. So I go to work and I don't know what's going to happen right. at work. Anything can happen. And I, I like that. I like not knowing what my day is going to happen because sometimes I won't do anything. And sometimes, you know, it's, you know, chaos. Mm-hmm. But there's, at work, you're, you're never really resting you know, you can lay down and you can relax, but it's it's not a deep sleep. It's not a deep relax because, you know, at any given time you can get up and somebody's life could be in danger right. and you have to be able to function, you know, 
on a dime. Yeah. So like you said, sometimes you fall asleep with your boots on. There's a lot of times I do that. Yeah. I sleep in my uniform because yeah. it's, it's easier. It's faster. Um, so we're dealing with this and we deal with this trauma almost sometimes every shift. It depends on what kind of emergencies you go to. How do we deal with that? What are, are the things that we are facing now? Because I might go into work tomorrow and have the hardest call of my career. I don't know that, that, that might happen. And I have to mentally be prepared for that. But what happens if that does happen? And I wasn't ready for that. So the goal. Okay. So when you say what happens if I wasn't ready? Yeah. What do you mean? What happens in to who and to what and to where? Like, what do you mean by that? So if like, I I think I'm, I'm mentally right. Like I can handle things, but there, there's calls that I've been on where I think I'm ready to handle it. Like right. as bad as it's going to be, I thought I was ready. I wasn't ready. Right. <laughs> you know. Um, so you're talking about what happens if, if am I, what happens in that situation? You're talking about on your end. On my end. On afterwards. End. Okay. How, afterwards. Okay. Afterwards. Gotcha. Yes. A- afterwards. How, how am do you I cope going? With it? How okay. do I cope with it? How am I going to deal with that trauma? Right. And people deal with trauma in a whole bunch of different ways. And, and there's a bunch of stuff that I want to talk about on, on how to deal with it. But me personally, I have to talk about it. I I have to talk about every aspect of it. I have to go through the run, you know, minute by minute and say, this is what I did. And could I have done anything different? And I have to be at peace knowing that I could not have done anything else for that person. Like that run was going to go exactly how it did. But there's time. That's not always going to huh. be the case. You Try know? to establish order in a right. chaotic situation right. that you can't establish and, order. And in. that's how EMS is. There's you can't. It, it's not one box because there's so much gray area. Because every run is different. Every person is different. Every circumstance is different. So you can't train like this is what I'm going to do A B C D because sometimes you go into a situation and you have to approach it differently for a certain reason. Right. That's how all first response is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? In military, in my opinion, you know, you have, you have law enforcement. Yeah. Who go to a, a traffic stop. They right. pull somebody over because they got a taillight out and it turns into uh, a, a shooting. Right. You know what I'm saying? You've got to fight for your life. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you just, you just don't know. And that hyper state of awareness. And, and the thing about EMS and, and working in smaller communities yeah. is, there's a good chance that you're going to know that person that you're going to, mm-hmm. or you've already established a relationship with that person because they're chronically ill, right. or it's one of your coworkers relatives in my case yeah. that they don't train you for this. Like they, they can't, you can't possibly be ready for that kind of call because you don't know what's going to happen. Not only are you dealing with a severe trauma to a person and their family, but this is also your coworkers family. Like, how how do you get ready for that? How do you deal with it? And, you know, there's times after that call, and I, I still do it to this day, I'll, I'll go through it word for word, like what I should have done and why I did the different stuff that I did because of the circumstances. And everything is justifiable, and there was not anything that I could have done to make a difference to that person, and I know that. But I still have to talk about it, and right. it still bothers me mm-hmm. to this day. Well, it does, and you've brought people into the emergency room where I've been, 
and horrible traumatic situation. Yeah. And I've seen you sit there and still you, you talk to me. I'm like, hey, what do you got? What do you got? And you'll you'll give me the report. Yeah. Here's what we got. We get to work on the person. We're doing the best that we can. After the fact, I've seen you still sit there and be like, okay, so here's what happened. And you're processing and processing yeah. and processing and processing. Mm-hmm. That processing of that timeline of that event. Yeah. It's so you know, and I think maybe you have a peace of mind, and I have a peace of mind, because I've done it with all kinds of people that I've taken care of. Right. Knowing that we did the best that we could. Right. But do you think that's a possibility that it's a way to help cope? Yes, absolutely. That That is definitely my coping mechanism, because if... I feel like some people can just shut it off and be like, right. well, it is what it is. Yeah. They just go on about their way, but... Right. But it's easy like, to do that on a lot of calls, but there's some where you you can't help it. Yeah. yeah. Like I if I do that because I want to know if I did something wrong as well. If there was something that I could have done differently and I'm in that ER and, and I have a question and I said, Hey, I did this, could I have done something else? Yeah. You know, and sometimes the answer is yes and sometimes the answer is no. And that not only am I learning at the same time, but that is definitely that is my coping mechanism. That is right. how I my brain processes. It, I have to talk about it, and I have yeah. to talk about it over and over again. Because and you, and you can change your habits on certain calls, right? After an after an event like that, just a little story uh, that I experienced. Uh, we got called to actually, what even my run, we picked it up because we had better access. It was a rollover MVC on I sixty five, and it sounded like it was just run of the mill. Everybody's out of the car, walking around. Yeah, and we're like, oh, it's gonna be easier to get here take a bunch of refusals and go back and eat supper. So as soon as we roll up, it was ice cold, pitch black, you know, the way the winter nights are, it gets pitch right. black at, at, you know, 4.30 now. So we roll up and um, completely off my game, I was just prepared for a very basic call. And I walked around the side of the truck and this guy hands me a lifeless two-year-old that was not properly restrained um, had severe, severe head trauma uh, and agonal respiration. So just from the word go, just completely caught off guard. All right. Everything went wrong. Gave him back of the truck. He was clenched. Couldn't get his mouth open to intubate him. Uh, he was just, again, whatever could go wrong went wrong. Yeah. Um, and in that severe, stressful situation, um, you know, we don't deal with two-year-olds every day. In this critical situation, it's like you're trying to decide what size tube you're going to use, what size innovation blade am I going to use, all that stuff. And it's just, I just remember thinking to myself, like, God, I'm not prepared for this. Yeah. And then from that moment on, I've never not been prepared for a, a pediatric call again. Right. So, like, immediately the next day, I've downloaded an app on my phone, and it's not left since, and that's been few years ago yeah. in fact it was december 2nd four years ago wow. um but every call i get that there's a pediatric involved like i've got it brought up before i ever get there and yeah. that's a habit i will never break because of that run you know <clears throat> as far as a, a goal of, of of the podcast in general just five stone in general is to bring awareness to the first responders in your community and I'll be the first to admit that I did not have an understanding. I won't say I didn't respect you guys, but as a nurse, 
I didn't have an understanding and the level of respect that I have until I started flight nursing. Mm -hmm. What you all see and do out there, there is no doc. There is no medical provider. There's no nurse practitioner. There's no anybody to sit to for you to fall back on. Mm -hmm. You've got some policies and procedures that you follow. You got your board, you know, regulations that you go through. It's your job to memorize a stack that thick of what you have to do and then apply it to not black and white situations like it's printed, mm -hmm. but in gray situations. Yeah. I didn't know that until I started flying. And for the people out there that's listening to this podcast that are not in first response and do not have an understanding of this, I really want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you really closely because I want you to get an understanding of where people like Renee and John come from. As a nurse, I worked for probably 10 years or so before I even started being a flight nurse. I worked in the ER the whole entire time. Multiple traumas, multiple deaths, multiple just horrible things that we have to deal with every single day. My first scene flight with AIRIVAC was dispatched to a <clears throat> an ejection in one of our local counties, our bordering counties. We get there. We're hovering over the scene. We're trying to find a spot to land. And I look over and see this Suburban or Tahoe or something. The top of it's flat. I look at the medic, and I'm like, hey, man, They've used the jaws of life, I guess, to cut this thing off. Ain't that what y'all do? And he's like, no, nah, bro, that's flat. I'm like, what? He goes, no, it's smashed flat. I'm like, dude, there ain't no way. It looks like the top's gone. He's like, no, it's just, it's collapsed flat. Boom. Adrenaline hit. Starts sweating, pulse bounding like, I'm not ready for this. Just like what you said. They taught us in the academy at Arivac, when you get to the scene, nurses, you're going to be humping your medic's leg, saying, God help me, I don't know what to do. I said, man, whatever. I've seen all this stuff come in the ER, blah, 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 blah. Hmm. They said, you're going to be like an angel coming from the sky in that helicopter to save the day. Get ready. And I'm like, no. We landed that helicopter. I was overstimulated with noise, sounds, smells, screams. Mm -hmm. I no was control. like, what is going on? I looked at that medic and I said, what do I do? <laughs> Exactly what they told me I was going to do. Right. And I said, what do I do? He's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? Yeah. And he's like, just come on, get the stretcher, come with me. And I'm stepping over car parts. I'm stepping over fluid. And I'm like, is that blood? Is this, what, you know, what the heck's going on? You know what I'm saying? I work in a trauma center. You know what I'm saying? But it's different. Right. You know? I said, over oh, here, come to the back of Unit 6 or whatever it was. <clears throat> So we opened the back of the ambulance door. The guy's laying there, leg about ripped off, tourniquet on, blood all over the floor. I'm slipping in the guy's blood about to fall down. The guy has an open skull fracture, brain matter hanging out. He's got a collapsed lung, a pneumothorax. He's posturing, seizing. They can't get an airway. I'm like, what have I signed up for? Right. You know, and they're like, hey, we got to paralyze this guy, get him in, and get an airway in. Nerdy nurse over here got. I'm calculating his kilograms, trying to calculate my dosages on each medicine to give him the exact milligram measured down to a half of a cc. And they're like, What are you doing? I'm just like, I'm shell shocked, you know. I'm yeah. just like, I don't, I, I don't know what to do, right? And he's like, 
put him down now, you know? <laughs> so we get the guy down, we get the airway secured. I'm like, I've never even paralyzed somebody, right? Like, I'm freaking out. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys got a tourniquet. That's like a real tourniquet on somebody. I've never seen this before. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I don't see any more blood coming out. I think it's good. And he was like, we're good, man. Come on, let's go. I'm like, okay. I was like, hey, I I think his lungs collapsed. He's like, here, pop his chest. Put a needle in. I'm like, huh? What? (laughs) He's like, here, threw me the kit. It's George Wimsett. Yeah. I'm like, George, what are you talking about? He's like, dude, pop his chest. And I'm like, uh, is this a spot? Yes, it's a spot. Are, are you sure? Yes. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if it is or not. He goes, oh, my God, dude, pop his chest. <laughs> I try to drop the medicine. I'm shaking so bad I can't get the needle in the vial of medicine. Yeah. And I get in the helicopter, and I'm like, I just want to go home. Yeah. That's all I want to do. I just want to get this flight over and go home. That guy lived. He lived. Wow. Called the base and said, whenever I get my prosthetic leg, I'm going to come back and see you. <laughs> At that moment, kind of like what you had, I was never unprepared ever yeah. again. Right. I had a piece of tape that I stuck on my on my flight suit pant leg. As soon as the flight went off, I was calling the ground crew. What's the patient weight? All meds calculated mm-hmm. down to how much I drew up and when, and everything was prepared and ready to go. Right. I stayed at a state of hypervigilance yep. in order to be able to function. Right. You know? And it's so crazy that these that that what you're doing right now with with EMS and what we're doing with this all of our past experiences, these people with mental health disorders are in the same boat that we're in. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, because this right. stuff just doesn't go away overnight. And a lot of our people that we're having with depression or they're veterans. Yeah, who have been overseas and fought and or they're people who have had some severe past traumas yeah. in their life. Maybe they're first responders. Yeah. You know, and they've been first responders their whole life and they're messed up. Right. Because it's been this cliche of you don't need to ask for help. You're the help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are 911. Right. Who do, being, I, who do I call yeah, if I need help? Who's 911 for 911? being a baby. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And like, John, 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 you had a good point last podcast. You said, you know, there's this whole culture of suck it up culture. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And you're, you're right on that end because whenever you've got a job and a mission to accomplish, you've got to suck it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have got to do it right my most traumatic event in my life the medic came up to me and said suck it up now yeah i was locked it was a different event than that one i was locked up yeah you still have a choice yeah then you have to but after the effect you can't always suck it up you've got to get help Mm -hmm. you know and these people out there can't just suck it up they they've got to get help because their life is in the balance really you know what i'm saying Those, those suck it up moments are usually they come on quick and they're over quick. Right. Yeah. You know, those those super high stress, those gunfights that we talk about, those those scene runs that are extremely yeah. uh, uh, critical, um, you know, p- past personal abuse, you know, like those are usually typically, it, it happens quick and it's over quick. Yep. And that's when you got to suck up. You, you have, have to, to suck you up. You have to put everything behind you, you know, suck it up and fight. But that event's over. What does that do to you? A month later, yeah. three months later, six, a year later, and you're still having trouble with this event. Yeah, that's when there's no suck it up. It's like you gotta, you have to, you know, reach out for resources and help. Right. And this is a part where where our agencies uh, are are severely lagging because we don't. We're, I kind of think we're at a crossroads in in how the the older medics and the old school way of thinking is still kind of trying to be pushed on these newer medics. And, yeah. and it is very much a culture of you got to suck it up and just do it. And then we don't talk about it. 
Mm. Like you just do your job because that's your job. You're supposed to do it. And then that's the end of it. Yeah. Like we, we have to be able to sit down and say, okay, well, this is what happened. You know, how, are you okay? How did you deal with it? How are yeah. you feeling? Not everybody is going to sit down and say, Hey, like, like how I deal with things. I'm, I'm not, everybody's going to be able to sit down and say, okay, let's go through it line by line and see what happens because not everybody's, that's not the way that they process it. And we have got to be able to teach these new medics that if you can't do that, there are other options. There are so many other options that you can do. You do not have to talk to a coworker. Although I would encourage it because your coworkers, they've been there. They've right. done that. They, they know how it is and they're going to be more likely to be able to sympathize. I agree. It's hard to talk to somebody who doesn't have empathy right. to that situation. You know, right. I've been there before. And, and I've dealt with it. Yeah. it. It's a lot harder for certain medical professionals to, to be able to, they can sympathize, but they can't empathize. Right. And, and we can tell. We, we can definitely tell when somebody's just, you know, sitting there agreeing with you saying, yeah, okay, well, you know, yeah. I wasn't there, but that sounds like it's, it sounds like it had to be bad. Tell sound, me more about that. Bad. Let's talk about it some more. Yeah, let's like, talk no, about I, don't, some I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, really. uh, yeah. That's, that's kind of always been my problem is I can't just talk to anybody about it. Um, I, I went to therapy for, for some past problems. And that was my first, like I maybe went to two or three sessions and that's all I could think about was like, this lady is just sitting here getting paid a hundred dollars an hour yeah. to just nod her head and smile. Like, oh, that sounds bad. You know, let's, let's, how does that make you feel? Like, I don't want to talk to somebody that's asking me, how does that make me feel? Yeah. I have to talk too. to somebody that's like, bro, I've been there. Yeah. You know, I know it sucks. It's not necessarily like, and I'm not the kind of guy that, that, that goes and like, well, could I have done this? Could I have done that? I am the kind of guy that's like, well, there ain't no changing it. Just deal with it. You know, it turned out the way it turned out. But I have to have that uh, connection with somebody in the end that's been in that same boat, that's been in those shoes. Right. No, and no I agree. They implemented a program at one of the hospitals I worked at too, and it was after a traumatic event or a patient came in, we had a cold, we had whatever. Then the charge nurse would come down and be like, hey, are you okay? Do you need to talk? Do you need a timeout? Do you need to sit back and kind of chill for a little bit or, or whatever? You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's being a, you know, a man. Maybe it's not. I, maybe everybody felt that way. I don't know. But no matter how bad I was bothered, I was like, I'm good. i got more stuff to do. i got I got five more patients over here. That's always my <clears> response. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, no, I'm good. I ain't got time. Yeah. Because I really didn't want to think about it. I really didn't want to talk about it. And this this lady from Colorado State, she said, it's a silent scream. Mm-hmm. And she said, it, it's a hidden wound and a silent scream with her exact words. Mm-hmm. And she said, they found through all these studies that between first responder dealings is there's, they all said I didn't have enough time to process it, process it to recalculate before my next one. I didn't have time. That's a huge problem. Yeah. So you go into a room, say this is, this goes for, you know, for your, your doctors, your nurses, whoever in, in the room, you go into a place and you're like, Hey, you know, I'm, 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 I'm sorry to tell you right now, but we did all that we could, but we couldn't save your two year old. Mm -hmm. And you go back and you, I've been in this situation. You clean up the baby, you wrap the baby up in warm blankets. So the skin don't feel cold. You do remove the IVs, everything you can, and you swaddle them up, and you wait for that parent to come in, and you hand that baby over, that dead baby, 
in a warm blanket so they at least have a little bit of closure. And you sit there and you try to be strong for that family and be strong for your fellow nurses who are breaking down because mm-hmm. everybody needs somebody. And then you walk out the door and you're like, okay, hey, um, so I got you some Lortab for your dental pain today. Yeah. And here's what we got going on today. And I hope this really helps. And we'll go on over here. And you're like somebody screaming, hey, bring me a glass of water. This hospital sucks. Right. You don't know what you're doing. Hey, you're having a heart attack. Hey, you're having a... Str- it, it doesn't shut off. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to be able to com- compartmentalize. Yeah. Like, you, it, after a certain time, you do have to shut it down. Like, yeah. in that situation, you, you, can't, you can't deal with your feelings right then and there because there's something else right here. Yeah. There's something else right here. And in EMS, there's always another call. You yeah. always you, you have to turn around. You go back to the station. You get your truck ready for the next one. Right. It, you've, you've got to be ready to go constantly. So this compartmentalization... It's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it'll help you deal with it right then and there so that you can continue to do your job. But it has to be dealt with eventually. Like, you can't just put it in that box, shut it up, and then, like, peace out. I ain't going to deal with it again because those boxes are going to build up and eventually, you know, you can't carry that weight forever. And and I hope that people, honestly, if if people out there are listening to this podcast right now and and they deal with depression, Uh they deal with anxiety, they deal with... Maybe it's schizophrenia. Right. Maybe they deal with suicidal or homicidal thoughts or plans or whatever it is. That Maybe they they realize, like, they're just like me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're a former veteran. They're a former whatever, a former cop, and they've had all this experience, and they're just like, man, these first responders are just like me. We, we are first responders. Let's get this. I think this needs to be portrayed. First responders are not a tool at the public's disposal. Mm-hmm. I think so many times first responders and medical professionals are viewed as a, dis- as a I want to say disposable tool, but a tool at your disposal. Anytime, well, anytime you get a problem, just cost will come to your rescue and right. they get paid. That's what they're there for. Yeah. Well, there was an article just released about that really? where um, you have the COVID vaccine that in New York, New York State, uh, are basically considering EMS and fire to not be like they are not going to be the first ones to receive vaccine. Like they like they don't need it. You know, like we we got too many other things to worry about oh, yeah. inside giving these yeah, these guys a vaccine. I mean, no matter what your opinion is on on the vaccine, right? Still, the, yeah. the, the fact that the state is saying who's your front they're not yeah important enough to get it first. Yeah. That's an issue. And it's just like our, you know, our, our soldiers. You know, I can't stand it when somebody disrespects somebody who has, who has willingly offered to sacrifice their life so you can be okay. Yeah, no matter what your opinion opinion is right. on foreign affairs or, or why we're at war with somebody. This country it's, is it's built of all these spoiled, rotten people mm-hmm. who want self-gratification and wants everybody to give them what they want and when they want it. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the point of sacrifice and what people do for them. Right. If you're listening to this and you've got an issue with depression, anxiety, whatever it might be, you people that you're calling for help, we understand. Yeah. We feel it. We've done it. Very few of us probably don't have these deep-seated issues. Right. Especially if you've been doing it for any kind of time at all. Mm-hmm. If you're on the ground, if you're if you're if you're working, you know, in EMS or fire or law enforcement or whatever, You've got to understand that the person to your right, the person to your left, to your 12, to your 6, they're probably in the same boat you're in. 
Yeah. You know? So with your program, and you created this video, and the video got released on the EMS website? Yes. Our, our Campbellsville, Taylor County EMS uh, Facebook. So just by doing that, this community had 10,000 views on a video, saved three people's lives mm-hmm. in a small community or county of 25,000 people. Yeah. So that shows you the level of distress that people are really in. Because that's just one section. That's just who, that's just a few people that caught it. That's not saying there was only three people in the community that had a problem. That's right. the three people that reached out. That how, just, how many more people still don't want to reach out? Yeah. Or how many people saw that and didn't report it, that it made right. an impact yeah. on their yeah. life. Right. You know? So I don't want to, I don't want to get you off track or topic of what you're doing, but what else within the community do you feel needs to be done or addressed to reach out to our public who are suffering and our first responders? What do you think? We definitely need to have more public education. Uh, we, we need to, and, and that's a lot of the problem, is people just don't know, uh, and they don't know what they don't know. Like, they don't know what p- programs are available to them. Like, nationally, there's there's a whole bunch. Like, you can call a phone number anytime, 24 hours a day, the National Suicide Hotline, if, if you're having those feelings. And we'll put that number up in the video so you all can have access to that. But, so. but we need something more, more than just us. Obviously, if somebody's having suicidal thoughts and, and they can't handle it and they need immediately immediate help, they can call us and, and we can get them to the ER and they can get to um, a mental institution if that's what they need. They can, they can get help that way. But we need more than that. We need to not let it get that far in order to give them help. We need that intermediate help that... I'm having these feelings, but I'm not going to do anything about it. But if we don't address those those depression feelings, those suicidal thoughts before they become actions, we're, we can't just put a Band-Aid on the problem. We, we can fix the problem right. from step one. And we need programs in our local community to do that. We need public education. We need groups that say, hey, if, if you need help, call me at any time. And I know people say that, but like, how, how comfortable are these people with doing that? Right. You know, we can't put all of this on one person. We cannot put it all on our EMS chaplain. Love him to death, but he's only one person. Right. You know, we can't just call him for absolutely everything. So um, in our communities, we need the chaplains. We need, count- we need councils. We need everybody to step up and say, if this is what you're feeling and you need somebody to talk to, call this number. At twenty four seven, and we will be there locally. Right. It, it 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 lets people know that their community cares for them, and they don't have to just necessarily call a national suicide hotline where people they might feel it's less personable, like because it's national, somebody's right. in a call center like eight hundred miles away, and well, they enough, just don't get it. Another thing too is what you all did was very smart because you put it on social media. So we live in a pretty rural area, so let's say that somebody is. They're down and out because they don't have the finances. They need to keep going because of COVID-19. Right. They've lost their job. They've lost whatever. They don't yeah. have an income. Right? Yeah. So maybe they don't have a landline phone. Uh-huh. Maybe they don't have whatever else. I don't know. Maybe right. they've got a way to, you know, be on a, a Wi-Fi connection for a while. That's all they've got left in their home right now. And yeah. they've got their cell phone. Yeah. And they got on Facebook. And they see that and they're like, oh, my gosh, I got some help. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Maybe... 
looking at it from a point besides a phone call, like what you all did could be possibly be a key. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like hitting that social media is so big because 10,000 people watched it. Yeah. 10,000 people aren't going to call a phone number and be like, hey, just letting you know, I know you're here if you need me. Right. You know what I'm saying? But 10,000 people watch a video and you know that those people are connecting by seeing those statistics. Yeah. I think it really comes down, and this is a touchy subject, and I'm just going to say it like it is. All right? It's accountability. Yeah. If you're in your hometown, I mean, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Consider your hometown right now and ask not yourself, but everybody around you, who is responsible for the well-being of the general community? Who is responsible for the general health and safety in your town and in your county? That's step one. Who is responsible? You're responsible. Ultimately, we say you're the first responder. Yes, you are. If an event happens somewhere and you're the first person there, you need to know what to do to help take care of somebody. Uh That's not what I mean. I'm talking about if you're the one in a situation, there's nobody there to help you and you're having like a mental health crisis or whatever it might be. Maybe it's a, and we talk about all the time, like school shootings or public disasters. Ultimately, in all the whole big picture, who is responsible for establishing programs to protect its citizens? It's your community leaders. Yeah. Your elected officials are responsible. And if we as a society and of citizens of this country in your county and your own area do not stand up and take a stand and hold these people who were voted into office accountable mm-hmm. for establishing programs, policies, and procedures to protect our people who are having mental health crisis, to protect our people who are at risk for a public disaster, a school shooting, a church shooting, anything at all, we're doing a, a humongous disservice. Mm-hmm. They're responsible. Right. Ultimately, it would be who? It'd be your mayor. Yeah. Right? Your mayor's in charge of that city. Or county judge. Or a whatever. county judge executive, maybe. A county judge. Maybe your elected, uh, you know, sen- senator for that area. Yeah. Maybe it is your sheriff. Yeah. That mayor doesn't go out into that county. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's your sheriff. It's just more than just, hey, I got a sheriff badge. I'm a good old boy assistant. Everybody knows me, so I got voted in. Right. No. That's pathetic if that's how you run your county law enforcement protection. Mm-hmm. That mayor cannot implement changes to help people outside those city limits, but that sheriff can put methods in place and spread awareness. Right. And until we start holding our leaders accountable, and I'm talking about our sheriffs, I'm talking about our police chiefs, I'm talking about our city council members, yeah. I'm talking about our county judge executives, I'm talking about our senators, I'm talking about all these community leaders. They work for us. Period. Right. And it's also on us, though, to make them aware. It is. Because you know, and that's the point of this podcast is, like, they may not have a true understanding of, like, holy smokes, this is a problem. Right. And what you're doing is key because you're bringing awareness to it. Right. But why isn't this done in a newspaper weekly? Right. Why isn't it done on the virtual newspaper online weekly? Mm-hmm. Is it going to cost the city anything to take out a, a four-by-four ad? If you're having problems with this, call this number. Like I wonder, did the city? I'm sure the city has a Facebook page. Yeah, Columbia has a the city has a Facebook page. Did they share your video? 
don't know. Uh, That's it, how it got shared a lot, like almost 200 times, so yeah. I'd have to go through. Yeah. And I know a lot of important city entities did share it. Yeah. So so they're making those strides in that. So there, yeah. some people are, but yeah. So it was just that one time, though. How how many times yeah. is it going to be gone back through and reshare mm-hmm. it? Yeah. And how many other ways can we say this? We we can do it multiple different ways because maybe that avenue wasn't enough for everybody. Maybe it That's wasn't. True. You know. And it takes people coming together thinking outside the box. How right. can we do this? So we've got to we've got to hold ourselves accountable. That's a good mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. You know, we're the ones on the front line. We're right. the ones that see it and that deal with it. We feel the stress and the PTSD ourselves, and we relate to these people, and we know that we don't have a resource. Right. Think about that for a minute. We work. If we were on a team together, us three, and I don't feel comfortable talking to you. Something's wrong. I'm probably not going to call anybody else. Right. Yeah. Because I know you all know how I feel, but yeah. I just ain't going to talk to you about mm-hmm. it. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it over, 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 um, Loading, saying, hey, here's a resource, here's a resource, here's a resource, trying to find a couple ways to attract some different people, maybe. Right. Yeah. I don't know. And we got to be prepared to to talk about it. Yeah. You know, like, I, this this summer, like, I had a string of, like, multiple pediatric traumas and cardiac arrest. And talking to, my, to one of my best friends, he's like, hey, you know, you okay? You know, you need to talk? I'm not good, bro, you know? And, like, at the time, like, immediately after the call, yeah, like, yeah, I'm good. I've, I've, I've In fact, I've got another call waiting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? It, but it's, yeah. it's again, it's the the week later, the year later that yeah. you got to be able to, to talk about this. Uh, so if you could kind is is there any other main topics that you want to address or ways that you want to go with, anything they haven't touched on? So uh, I want to talk about ways ways to deal with it, how – how else can you deal with it besides talking? Because not everybody wants to talk. But it's known that after after a certain amount, stress can physically make you sick. Mm-hmm. Like you will you will physically get sick. Your health will deteriorate. You'll be more susceptible to to lifelong diseases, to mm-hmm. general illness. And if we are chronic sick, fatigue, chronic disorders, fatigue. Yeah. If if we are not on our A game, we cannot help anybody else. So our agents, um, a lot of agencies. Well, I say in this area, just because I know for a fact, have uh, many gyms in the facility. You have got to physically get the stress out of you. If you don't want to talk to somebody, physically get it out. Um, if you like lifting, lift. If you need to run, run. Bike, um, baseball, softball, tennis, whatever your niche is, go mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. Because even if you don't want to, to talk to somebody, if you can get that out mm-hmm. physically, uh, it, it'll help you. It'll it'll help bring those cortisol levels down, and eventually you're gonna feel better. And maybe you might get to the point to where you can feel better enough to talk about it. That's a good point. And and you're addressing both your mind and your body, yeah. because there is a big connection between mind and body, and and people don't realize that they're not taking care of themselves. That's true. When you got the state of hypervigilance, kind of yeah. it's it's kind of like um, I used to do a smoking cessation. Yeah. And one of the programs we do with people with smoking cessation was whenever you feel the need to smoke go exert yourself heavily for five minutes. Right. So I worked at this factory and I was like, I want you to hike up down this hill by this parking lot and come back down. Tell me if you still got a craving to smoke. Right. They come in and I was like, that's crazy. I don't have, I don't, don't want to smoke. Right. Hmm. I'm like, so you've overcome that because you're, you're, you're stimulating those same receptors in the brain. Right. right. And you're still giving it that high. Yeah. So physical exertion is right. a key. You know what I'm saying? You're keeping that, mm-hmm. that awareness and that alertness going and, and you're, and you're, 
improving your health anyways. Right, you know what I'm right. saying? Like you're, really, you're ultimately yeah. doing better for yourself on multiple. Because you're stressed, you don't sleep well, right. you get insomnia, you get right. chronic fatigue syndrome. But if you exercise, you exert yourself, you use that energy, you'll sleep better. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah, you'll you'll be more point. mentally prepared to deal with everything else that's coming. And uh, at one point in time, I had Nerf guns at the EMS station, and I called it our conflict resolution. Oh, we used to do that at ETL. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm thinking about bringing it back. Really? Uh, That's, I swear to God. Conflict we... resolution. Nerf guns. You load them up and just have <laughs> at awesome. it. Like, you, it's, we had it's, nerf fights every shift. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And, and, you know, you're, you got to be physical. It's a way to have fun. It's a way to connect with your employees and let loose and just drop your guard because... This line of work isn't like a normal nine to five job. You're yeah. you're there for so many hours a day, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with life and death situations, and you you know you and your partner are are dealing with these things together. And right. you have to know that you guys can let loose and relax. And maybe if if you guys are are, are having a Nerf gun fight, and then afterwards they're relaxed, they pull, can pull you aside and said, "Hey, something's been bothering me," and you know. Maybe I, I feel more comfortable, you know, talking to you about it now that, you know, we let loose. So I realize that we can have that line of communication uh, open. I would shoot both of you with a Nerf gun right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. I would shoot you first. <laughs> <laughs> and Nerf, if you're hearing this, we will take your sponsorship. I just, we just need three guns. That's all we need. <laughs> and lots of ammo. Yeah. But something that she just said, and I just experienced this, you know, my, my grandma just died of COVID yeah. a couple weeks ago. And my father-in-law has been in the COVID unit. He came home on oxygen, still not doing, you know, I mean, still, he's doing well, a lot better than he was, but not as normal. My One of my aunts is still in the COVID unit. And so this stuff is weighing pretty heavily on me, you know, still to this day. And we had a pretty busy shift a couple shifts ago, and we dropped a cardiac arrest off at the ER, and my boss made the run with me. And he's like, hey, come here, let's talk. And he's like, you're not doing well. I'm like, well, now that you mentioned it, not really, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. And you know, we had a long talk about it. And to be honest with you, it's probably the first time I've ever had any type of management reach out concerned. Wow. You know, um, you do get those texts from time to time um, from coworkers. You know, like I, I made a, a infant cardiac arrest <clears throat> one of um, one of my last shifts when I was working for PRP. And a and a dude from another agency that I work for, he worked for still work for Metro EMS. You know, he texts me, he's like, Hey, those are tough calls. If you need anything, I'm here to talk. But from management reaching out, you know, it's that was a first for me. Wow, man. The people that you work with are gonna are gonna recognize when yeah. something's not right. But see, it was that easy. Yeah. Yeah. He could have just been like, No, nah, man, we're gonna we're gonna man up, suck yeah. it up. I've got to be honest about, with you, I probably wouldn't have talked about it to anybody yeah. if he hadn't have brought it up. He's like, Hey, if you need time to take off, he's like, I'll donate vacation time, whatever. I'll donate whatever I have to donate to you to just take off and, you know, and man, process all that's this. Awesome. That's a leader yeah, right I've there. I've never man. been, yeah. never been offered that in my life. Yeah. And then to be honest with you, I probably would have never crossed my mind. A lot of times when you're under stress or you're dealing with some heavy situations, you can't think of a, of a solution yourself. Sometimes it has to be offered to you. You know, I mean, we're talking about if you're if you have trouble, reach out. If you have trouble, reach out because we can't know when everybody's having trouble. But the fact of how can we reach out to other people, and that's exactly what you did. Mm-hmm. You know, it's being proactive, not reactive. Absolutely proactive. And we talked about the same thing with the protecting yourself. People call it self-defense, mm-hmm. but that's a reactive situation. Yeah. 
self-protection as a preparedness mode. Right. And so in society, in our communities, if we sit back and say, you know what, we're going to be proactive about this, and we know this exists. So if you're listening, communities who had just heard this podcast or you got shared this podcast to, Uh you are now aware. Right. That in your community, all over this world, your first responders are struggling. Yeah. People in your community that have past experiences with the military, first responders, or any traumatic life events are struggling. You're accountable. Right. We need people to come to us like what John had come to him, and that helped him. Right. You know, we don't know what would have happened if you had this problem and he didn't come to you and you had that one conversation of an outlet. What if it took you somewhere deeper that you didn't want to go? Yeah. It's that easy to miss. Mm-hmm. So EMS... Leaders. Reach out to your people. Captains. Yeah, everybody. Reach out to your crew. Quit having the old salty medic, as Conover says. Suck it up mentality once it's over. Mm-hmm. Care. How about that? Right. How about you care? How about you serve your crew? Our Motivation Monday podcast that just now came out was protecting the line. You protect your people. Without your people being protected, everything else that you're trying to do falls apart. Community leaders, mayors, sheriffs, police chiefs, fire chiefs, here in this county, listen to me, in every other county across the state, across this country and the world, you are now aware. Mm -hmm. You are now accountable. Citizens, take this podcast. Share it with those leaders right now. Take this podcast and send it to them. May require a city council meeting about this issue so we can start addressing it. You're the only way to get it done, right? Mm-hmm. Is there any other way you can think of besides the community coming together and doing it? I mean, not really. I mean, it's <clears throat> that's a huge deal. But again, and we've touched on it multiple times today, but we are accountable as well, you know. Get a group together, yeah, at your service, at your department, and help each Peer other. Peer support out. group, yeah, and that's that's something me and one of my best friends was talking about the other day. Was there is nothing locally, you know? Like I was just, in fact, I just searched on um, support groups that focus on first responders, and looking at the map, like there is, it's scattered all over the place. But Kentucky, zoom in on Kentucky. And there's nothing there, nothing in Kentucky. Right. So, so yes, yeah, if, if one of us needs help, you know, there's really it's each other. Yeah, there's nothing personable to go to. Right. Um, yeah, there's plenty of hotlines and websites and stuff to go to, but sometimes it just takes talking to your buddy. Yeah. yeah. That's been in been on that same type of run. Right. Work those same calls that you can relate with yeah. that gives you enough to keep going. And I want to let I want to let people know that you don't have to have a certain amount of life experience to be able to you don't have to have to have have to have to have. You don't need all of these credentials to be able to help somebody. Yeah. If you want to help somebody, well, set it up. You don't need to to have a degree, you don't need to have 20 years in. If you want to help somebody, go do it. You have to be the change. You have to be the difference and you don't have to it can, it could be anybody. How good does it make you all feel after a run when somebody brings you all pizza or cookies or something like that? 
it feels good to, to cool. know yeah. that uh, the community is recognizing uh, yeah. even just one person saying thank you. And those people don't have a degree in right. psychology. <laughs> no. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're like, these people care. I want to show that I care. Right. So if those people can do it, right. why can't your, Anybody can. your elected officials? Right. Why can't your police chief, your right. fire chief, your EMS director? Anybody can make a difference. Your coroner, your mayor, your mm-hmm. senator, your city council members that you elected. Yeah. Hello. Are they bringing? Yeah. You, are they bringing you any cookies? Are they bringing you any pizza? <laughs> are they even having a conversation with you? Right. No, because you're paid and suck it up and deal with it. Right. Well, and I've kind of been on that side of the fence as well. Where, uh, like, two months after my wife and I was married, she was hit head on by a log truck, and uh, yeah, so she had like a partial uh, foot amputation, open left femur, uh, all kinds of bad stuff. She was trapped for nearly an hour, uh, but I made it a point. That the you know there was a medic that I'd worked with at Metro that that took care of her. Like there's news footage from a helicopter, and you can tops cut off my wife's car. You can see her head in the car while they're cutting her out, and my buddy Don's head popping up and out of the floorboard, up and down, you know, taking care of her. And so I made it a point that once she was recovered, you know, we're gonna meet the guy that took care of her, yeah, and thank him. So that's what we did, yeah. And you could tell, like, I mean, I get emotional oh, yeah. thinking about an L, but it was. Yeah, because that that's care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's caring we, about. We about rarely the... have closure on our end. No, we don't. Rarely. Yeah. yeah. You know, unless we were a cardiac arrest and they call them in the ER. Right. You know, they pronounce that person as soon as we drop them off. But those critical patients that we um, take long distance to another hospital, we put them on a helicopter and they, they fly off to to a you know distant hospital. Yeah. We never rarely ever get any kind of follow up. And we on talked this. about this same with the dispatchers. You know, mm-hmm. what 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 kind of closure do they get? Yeah. They get left out a lot. Yeah, they do. They, they get they, neglected. It, people forget that they are they are the true first responders in that they are taking those yeah. calls. They're not yeah. physically there, but they are there on the telephone. So exactly. a lot of times they're they're the only person that's sitting there listening to that person cry because their Ma- spouse of 30 years has just went into cardiac arrest and they're not breathing and they have to talk them through CPR. Like how, how much mental stress is that when you're having yeah. to, to calm somebody down over the phone and, and give them instructions on how to save their spouse's life. Yeah. They and, may and, be hearing yeah. somebody's last breath, last dying words. Right. There's a, there's a YouTube video of the audio from the call that was in Radcliffe, Hardin County. And a, um, if I'm not mistaken, he was a service member there at Fort Knox come in and there was some source, of course, domestic problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and he come in and was in the process of pretty much murdering his family. And his, one of his children was in the closet hiding with a phone call 911. Oh you know, I've heard gosh. it multiple times, you know, yeah. I was actually working there, you know, when it happened. It wasn't my run, but just you know, that's yeah. that's heavy on, on taking that call. That's that is we need, heavy. We need to make it an effort to increase awareness on that right. to let those they're considered first yeah. responders. And yeah. We have a tendency to to not consider them because they're not in a vehicle mm-hmm. or in the emergency room. That doesn't right. matter. Right. You know, we need they're to there. Go over there. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Uh, what else you got, Renee? So um, the, the physical exertion to getting that stress out. Yeah. So 
there's ways that our spouses, significant others, they're, they're not going to understand. So if, if they're not in, in it, they're not going to get it. And you're going to go home and they're, you're not going to want to talk about it. How do we help them help us? So sometimes it could be easy as just telling them to ask you, what can I do to help you right now? What do you need? And, and you have to be willing to talk to them. Maybe you guys can go to a support group together. Maybe uh, you guys could just go do a physical activity together. Maybe you guys need to get out and do something that has nothing to do with um, the job or anything. Right. So we have to educate our significant others and our families as well uh, and tell them that, hey, if I come to you and, and I start talking about this, mm-hmm. just listen. Like I, sometimes that's all it is. Like I, I, it might make them uncomfortable. And if they're uncomfortable with it, then they can say, hey, I know you need this. I'm not comfortable with it. Let's find somebody that you can talk to because we have to recognize that their feelings are valid, that it's okay. If they're uncomfortable with it, obviously don't push that on them. Maybe you guys can go together and say, Hey, I I can't help you with this, but let's go find somewhere that you can. And you look for those resources together. Don't, don't alienate yourself. Don't leave your spouse out of it. And don't put all that stress on your spouse because that is a really easy thing to do especially in the military, uh, they do, they, they teach, um, not putting all that, when you come home, don't put all that stress that you just experience on your spouse and your family, because there's a high divorce rate in the military and emergency services. Like it's, our families are suffering because we're suffering and that's not their fault. No. So our community leaders need to understand that if we help, our first responders, you're inadvertently helping their families because mm. you're taking that stress off of the families by helping the person who's got the trauma. That is such a key point. So it's it's everything is connected. It's, yes. It's not just one person. You are helping this person, and inadvertently you're helping them, and you're helping their children, and you're teaching their children that, hey, dad had a problem. Dad said, I need help. Dad went and got help, and dad's better. Yeah. If I'm having those feelings, I can go ask for help and I'm not going to get judged for it and I'm going to get better. It's 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 teaching the next generation. You you've yeah. got to show everybody that it is okay. And sometimes actions are louder than words. Right. So you have to do it. It's kind of like the five whys. You know, we talk about it, like um lean manufacturing and all that. You know, they got the five whys. And pretty much what you do, you start off like here's a problem. Why is that a problem? Yeah. For example, okay, my family's falling apart. Right. Why did your family fall apart? Well, because I bring home my stuff from my job. Right. And that's high stress. My brain functions differently. They don't understand how I function. I come home and they're fussing about a coffee cup that I left on the cabinet instead of putting in the dishwasher. Right. And it's, yeah. that's nothing compared to the child that I just handed over to their mother dead. Right. I don't give a crap about this coffee cup right now. Right. They don't get it. Okay. And so, okay, well, so your marriage falling apart because you got this stress. Why do you have this stress? Because I'm constantly exposed to this stress every day on my job. Yeah. Okay, why can't you cope with it? You just keep why, 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 why. Until you find and then you'll find yeah. the source of the problem. Right. You know? And these people, man, these people on the streets, I just wanted to know that we f- we care. Yeah. Because we know. We empathize. The difference is sympathy and empathy. Right. We empathize because we've been there. Right. You know, maybe we are there. Right. 
And we go into these houses Mm -hmm. and we see these living conditions and, and people don't realize that that takes a toll on you mentally. Like you go into these houses that are, that are absolutely filthy and they've got garbage up the walls and you know, it's mentally taxing because you have to realize that, Oh my, there's people that live like this. This is their daily. And then you see the children in these situations and you're like, Oh, what is, what is going to happen Uh, to this child? Like what, what can we do? to make this better why is that person in that situation to begin with are they depressed has anybody helped them and it comes back down to just like you said the whys you keep on whying until you get to the source what can i do about it yeah and and a lot of times it's 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 mental health it's edu it's lack of education it's lack of resources we can we can educate people we have the power of social media to do that i mean social media can be good and bad we need to use it to our advantage making these videos, making these podcasts and sharing them to as many people as we can, letting them know that, Hey, if you're in this situation, somebody else has been there too. Somebody else has seen it and we can help you. And here's how we can help you. That's awesome. That's exactly what you've done. Exactly what you're doing. And you've already saved lives. Probably more than the three. I probably feel safe to say there's been people reached by that. Yeah. That yeah. Definitely more than three, but yeah. one of them was worth it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That was our goal, at least one. And I would like to take it even farther and maybe put a group together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, give someone a place to go or somebody to talk to. Right. Yeah. And that's where we get with our community leaders and be like, hey, we're coming to you to see what we can come up with. Yeah. You know, as a group and a plan. Because... You know, I say ultimately they're responsible, but if they're not aware, like what you said, exactly. if we haven't made them aware, mm-hmm. then they you can't be held responsible for something that you don't know. Right. You know, but now they know. Right. And, and that's what we're trying to do is to bring awareness so we can help these people. Right. So what about your podcast that's coming out? What are you What are you working on now? How can so, we help you with that? My podcast is called Lift Assist. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I like it. I love it's, that, it's, man. It's by first Ex- explain the word for the so, non-EMS so or fire person. For, for the non-EMS people who don't know, uh, when EMS goes out to some place and and we need help with getting a person out, we call for a lift assist, and that might be another medic unit. And in, in our situation, we call the fire department because we need extra help making sure that we get this uh, person safely. Out and, and we need help. It's support. So lift assist. We are we are there. We are helping our fellow um, emergency responders from all aspects, not just necessarily EMS and that fire. That is amazing. So uh, I'm hoping to have this out um, after the first of the year. That is amazing. Well, hopefully so. <laughs> this will help. Absolutely. So for our listeners that's tuning into this, keep your head up keep your eye out and get to looking for lift assist and, and if you, when you see it share it that's yeah. right when you see this share it please yeah. share it because you never know who's going to need help right it could definitely impact people's lives and that's what we we say you know at, at five stone is the our, our creed prepare respond and serve if you prepare yourself your family your loved ones your tight-knit unit your group your team your work community your work group that you're with your 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 church your school whatever mm-hmm. it it lets you to respond to a situation when it arises like that right. because you've established methods of handling that situation right in this case would be mental health once we are prepared and we have methods in place we can respond to that need when somebody calls i've got a problem or we identify it like your boss did you've got a problem mm-hmm. right 
know what I'm saying? He served you. Yeah. By him serving you and giving caring enough to give himself for you, that in turn served the community. Yeah. Because now you're more prepared and you have a better understanding of what to do to your partner next time. To not be afraid to speak out and be like, hey, bro, you ain't right. Yeah. Something's off, you know, man. What, what's going on? My boss did it for me. I'm going to do it for you. It, it's contagious. Right. You know, it spreads down the line. And that's what that's what we're here for. Yeah. Prepare, respond, and serve, you know. Mm-hmm. Lift, assist. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. That's wow. going to be awesome. <laughs> we'll do everything we possibly can, obviously, to help you out and to, to you. help you to get that going. Guys, you're listening. Lift, assist. Renee Blackaby. Anything else? I'll probably Any part- have you as a guest on mine as I well. I would absolutely so. love to. <laughs> Any time whatsoever. Yeah. <clears throat> Anything else you got? John, Renee, anybody? You need uh, help ask. Yeah, exactly. Call for lift assist. That's <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> no, I think we need to, like I said, I found a bunch of uh, websites for first responders, so we need to put that in our. Absolutely. We'll have that put in our uh, put, you know, show notes um, uh, description, you know, okay. YouTube description. That way it gives you something to go to. Um, and when we start, when we get together uh, in the future and maybe put something together locally, you know, we'll continue putting this stuff out. Absolutely. That is awesome. Is that it? All right, guys. We'll wrap up this podcast episode. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. You're a good friend, and you're even a better at it. So (laughs) I appreciate you guys for all that you do, seriously. And everybody out there listening to this, thank you for checking this out. Please, uh, we're doing these video podcasts now. We're on YouTube. We're on, what, Apple, Spotify, Mm -hmm. Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google, all the different podcasts that we're on now. Our, our website's fivestoneusa.com. We're more than happy to put you on the website, do whatever we can do to help spread your podcast on there, to help people change lives and increase the well-being of everybody. That's what Thank we're here you. for. Yeah. So that is it for us. We'll sign out on that. Thank you. And check us out on the next podcast. All right. Good deal. This has been a production of Five Stone. I'd like to thank you guys for taking the time to check out our podcast and videocast today. You can check us out online at fivestoneusa.com. That's the number five, fivestoneusa.com. We are also on all the social media platforms. Our podcasts are now live. Videocasts are on YouTube, and our audio podcasts are on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, all the major podcast platforms. Thank you, guys. Again, we cannot thank you much for all your support and all that you do for us. Remember, prepare, respond, and serve, because someday you might be that first responder.